and stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out to us the weight of every curse upon him one final breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of god was laid in darkness a battle in the grave the war on death was raged the power of hell forever broken the ground began to shake the stone was rolled away his perfect love could not be overcome now death where is your sting our resurrected king has rendered you defeated to shake the stone was rolled away his perfect love could not be overcome now death where is your sting our resurrected king has rendered you defeated
We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb has overcome. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is God's words to God's people.
Dave Nencurvis is offering special music for us today as his departing gift to us. He is preparing to move up north uh, to be with one of his daughters. And at the end of the service, right before the benediction, we'll send him forth with a prayer of blessing. To dream the impossible dream to fight the unbeatable foe to bear with unbearable sorrow to run where the brave dare not go to right the unrightable wrong to love pure and chaste from afar to try when your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star this is my quest to follow that star no matter how hopeless no matter how far to fight for the right without question or pause to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know if I'll only be true to this glorious quest, that my heart will lie peaceful and calm as I'm laid to my rest. And the world will be better for this that one man scorned and covered with scars still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star. Thank you, and God bless you all. I'm going to miss you so much. I'm going to miss this church and all of you so much. But I'm going to be with my daughter and my new grandchild. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Over the next couple of weeks, we have the opportunity to look at scripture of Jesus's interaction with people after he was risen from the grave. In very quick research that I did last night, and I confess that it was quick, I came across about 20 accounts of Jesus appearing to individuals or groups of people after his resurrection. Some of them were one-on-one -on -one interactions, and one of them is purported to be, he appeared to 500 men. And we know that whenever they say it's 500 men, it actually means 500 men plus women and children. So we can pretty much assume that it was 1,000 plus people that he appeared to in that encounter. Today's encounter happened on Easter night. I want to make sure that that is clear. It's not something that happened a week ago. So it wasn't that Jesus rose from the dead and a week later his disciples were locked in a room. It happened that, uh, that Mary went to the tomb saw the stone, wow, let's start over again. Mary went to the tomb, saw the stone rolled away, 
ran to the disciples, said, the, stone, the tomb is open. We need to do something. Peter and the beloved disciple run down to the tomb. They find the stone indeed rolled away. They step in. They're notified that the Lord is risen. They go back and tell their friends. Mary hangs out in the garden for a little while in prayer, in grief, trying to figure out what's going on. And a gardener appears to her. And she says, do you know where they've taken my Lord? Give him to me so that I can bury him properly. And he calls her by name. And as soon as she hears her name, Mary, she realizes that it's not a gardener, but it, indeed it is the risen Christ. She realizes it, that it is Jesus interacting with her, letting her know the truth of the resurrection. And he tells her, don't hold on to me because I have more work to do before I can ascend to the Father. But your job is to go and tell the disciples. So she goes and tells the disciples. Fast forward probably 12 hours, and 10 of the 11 remaining disciples are locked in a room scared. I don't know about you, but I would like to believe that if I had just been notified and I had someone who told me a firsthand account of the risen Lord, that I would be rejoicing and celebrating, but instead they're hunkering down, scared, afraid, not sure what to do. They have their doors locked and they are making sure that no one can come get them and that they are in the midst of their fear and grief. And Jesus materializes to them. Jesus doesn't tangibly burst through the doors, but I like the imagery of bursting through the doors. But Jesus appears there. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. He addresses their fear. He invites them to look at the holes in his hand, the cut in his side, and says, it is me. Rejoice. I give you peace. And the peace I give to you, I want you to take further into the world. I want you to go into the world in such a way that you remember that you have the ability to forgive sins or not forgive sins. And the ways that you react to experiencing my presence in your life and the ways in which you respond to others either extends peace or doesn't extend peace to them. And then he goes on his way. Thomas shows up. They're like, we've seen the risen Lord. And Thomas is like, what? Man, did I just miss something really amazing? Because I was out doing something for us. We're not told what Thomas did or what he was doing and why he wasn't there, but we do know that he wasn't locked in that room. He wasn't letting his fear be the thing that dictated how he was living his life. He was out and about. Who knows, maybe he was doing some ministry that he needed, knew needed to be done. Maybe he was going and buying food for his friends. But he said, I'm not gonna stay shut behind these doors. I'm gonna do something. And I, fear that, I feel that Thomas gets a bum rap in all of this. I feel like Thomas, for ages, is called Doubting Thomas because he says, I wanna see what you saw. I don't necessarily think that he was doubting so much as he was longing for the experience that they had had. He was longing for that encounter with the risen Christ. He was longing for that experience. I can tell you that there's times in my lives where I choose not to go to an event. 
I choose to stay at home. I tend to be a bit of a homebody, so that's a good possibility. I choose to withdraw from the world, and then I hear the stories of what my friends have encountered at an event that I chose not to go to, and I'm envious of the experience that they had. I was like, oh man, I wish I was there. I honestly think that that's what Thomas was doing. He was saying, I wish I was there because that is such a cool experience and I missed out. And then in typical human form, we don't just say, oh, I missed out. We go, I want to one-up you and I want to have the experience of touching the holes in his hand and touching his side, which by the way is a little gross, but <laughs> that's, that's the way that he elevated and escalated it to the next level. I want to have an experience even bigger than yours. Not his most shining day, but Christ even acknowledged that and said, I am going to appear to you and I am going to make sure that you know that I'm hearing your desire for connection. I'm hearing that you need to have this experience in your life. When Jesus says to Peter, or Thomas, when Jesus says to Thomas, why do you need to see to believe? Blessed are those who see, who believe, but have yet to. Yet, blah, blah, blah. Let me look at the scripture, so that I quote it to you properly. And now I'm not going to find it. Oh, here we go. Too many pieces of paper. He says to that to him. Do not doubt, but believe. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have seen who have not seen and yet have come to believe. What I'm trying to get with that part of reading that over again is, is that there's a message for us, today's everyday Christian, because we didn't get to walk with Jesus the way his disciples did. We didn't have that chance, yet we choose to believe. We choose to say, God is risen he has risen indeed, and God has done profound things in my life. Now, I've told you that I think that Thomas gets a bad rap, but I also think that doubt gets a bad rap. I think that doubt is something that is integral to our faith. It's something that helps us grow, helps us ask the questions that we need to, and helps us become the people of faith that we're meant to be. There's a book that came out a couple years ago, by a woman named Jacqueline A. Bussey, entitled Outlaw Christian, Finding an Authentic Faith by Breaking the Rules. According to Bussey, she says that living according to these rules is killing Christian life. Outlaw Christian proposes a rebellious, life-giving, authentic alternative. Through captivating stories and with disarming honesty, Bussy gives concrete and practical strategies to help listeners cultivate hope, seek joy, practice accompaniment, compost pain, and rediscover the spiritual practice of lament. Some of the laws that she talks about, those unspoken laws, are never getting angry with God never being allowed to doubt, never asking questions, never telling your real story, always speaking cliches about evil and suffering, and always believing that hope comes easily to those who truly love God. I love that she speaks so boldly on those things, and I love that she says, it is 
silly for us not to get doubt. There are many theologians and writers who talk about doubt in their writings. Paul Tillich said, sometimes I think it is my mission to bring faith to the faithless and doubt to the faithful. Miguel de Unamuno, I haven't gotten it right once, almost. Miguel de Unamuno, nope. Unamuno, Unamuno, Miguel de Unamuno, has said, life is doubt, and faith without doubt is nothing but death. And Flannery O'Connor says, don't expect faith to clear things up for you. It is trust, not certainty. I think that's important for us to remember. When people tell us that we're not allowed to doubt, what they're really saying is that when we say that we're doubting, it's a confession of uncertainty. And for some reason, society, the church has told us that uncertainty is shameful. It's a sign of ignorance. And we learn to hide the things that we don't like and that we doubt. But the reality is that certainty makes us feel comfortable, fearless, and in control makes us feel self-sufficient, but unfortunately no such certainty truly exists, and these feelings are just illusions. The reality is is that most of us, our doubts are not the big questions of if God exists, but where is God in certain situations? Instead, we puzzle over the questions of, does God care? Is God good and just? Will God answer my prayers? Will God answer your prayers? Does God love me and love all of us? C.S. Lewis wrestled with this to a certain extent when he wrote his book, A Grief Observed, as he was processing the death of his wife and wrestled terribly with feelings of God's cruelty and absence. He wrestled with this so much that when he published this book, he published it under a pseudonym so that all of those that knew his writing and knew his work would not come down on him for what he was saying. But interestingly, when you talk to people today about how they deal with their struggles of loss, the book most often referred to in that time is A Grief Observed. Lewis was afraid. He was hiding, hiding the truth of his doubt from those who loved him and thought he was an inspiration to them. And sometimes we hide our doubts for others. So many people deep down want to ask God needlesome questions just like Job, like the psalmists, like C.S. Lewis, and like Jesus did. Questions like, how long, Lord, how long? Why do the wicked prosper? Will the pain never end? And are you here, God, or have you ditched us? These questions are faith's heartbeat. We have submerged them deep down inside of ourselves, so far that it takes a stethoscope to hear them, but they are still there, beating. There's a passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 that I want to share with you, and it reads like this. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, 
being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor while Jesus Christ, or when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice in the indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In researching for the sermon this morning, I came across a post by a woman named Ayana Watkins. And I thought that it was appropriate to share this with you as we have just experienced the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination. She processes a movie called Boycott about the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott. And she focuses in on a scene with Martin Luther King Jr. and a local civil rights leader, E.D. Nixon, as they're standing outside Nixon's house as it burns to the ground. Nixon knows that white supremacists are behind the arson, but he also seems to know that they will go unpunished. Adding fuel to the fire, the fire department has arrived but the white firefighters elect to simply lean against their fire trucks and look at the house as it burns. As King stands beside his friend Nixon, both of them are helpless as the house goes up in flames. Nixon asks King how he can stick to his nonviolent principles, or even if he should, as he and his family are physically threatened and attacked by the powers oppressing them. King doesn't answer him directly. Instead, speaking slowly as though it pains him to do so, he quotes from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and have been saved. Watkins says that King quotes Hebrews to say to us, our faith is not meant to keep us from responding to the violence that is inflicted upon us. Our faith is the response to this violence. We feel the pain and sadness, even the helplessness and loss. But we don't let our feelings make us shrink back from our values. We don't succumb to the fear that our opponents are stronger than we are. Instead, we believe and are saved. We believe that God is strong, that what we stand for is true, and that God is honored by our resistance to injustice, that God is pleased when we refuse to submit to fear and helplessness. This belief is our salvation. The reading from 1 Peter that I shared with you unpacks this as the precious gift that we have in faith. It is in faith, it is faith that allows us to persist through struggle and doubt, while at the same time, the struggle and doubt test, and if we allow it, refines our faith, making it stronger than before. Untested faith is not as valuable as faith that has had, some, had to stand and stare at a burning house without turning around and introducing yet more violence more death, more hate, and more loss into the world. Tested faith trains us to believe more in God's ability to give us life than our enemy's ability to extinguish it. 
Tested faith is what God is looking for when it's all said and done. Not whether we won all the fights that we entered, but whether we could be found fighting faithfully for what we believe in. Our doubt makes us stronger. It tests our faith. There's a hymn that in our hymnal that I started thinking about after we had printed all of the bulletins and everything else, so I didn't say, hey, let's change things up at the last minute. And I actually, I really loved the, the opening hymn that Gloria picked for us, so I was like, perfect, that works as well. But I want you, if you're interested in looking at this hymn, it's number 707 in your hymnal, and it's called the Hymn of Promise. And it talks about life out of death and new opportunities. And I'm going to read it to you as a poem instead of singing it, because none of you want to hear me sing. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree. In cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and stone of winter there's a spring that waits to be, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. And then jump to verse 3, because this is the one that really speaks to me. In our end is our beginning, in our time infinity, in our doubt there is believing, in our life eternity, in our death a resurrection, at last a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. In our doubt there is believing. Don't let doubt take a bad rap. Let doubt guide you and help you to be tested in your process. In this experience of the risen Christ and in our scripture today, we are told that God will burst through the doors to be present to us and offer us peace. It tells us that God knows when we long for a more intimate connection. It tells us that our faith is made stronger through asking questions and allowing our faith to be tested. It tells us that we are people of faith who did not tangibly get to walk with Jesus, but are affirmed for believing without seeing. And it also tells us that we are sent forth to offer peace to others. Amen.